The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, 2 a.m. in Palo Alto, California. And here is your top five at five. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg slamming the onslaught of reports, hitting the reputation of his company as investors wait to see if all of it may actually hurt earnings. One trillion and beyond. As Tesla becomes the latest member of the 13-digit club, now more valuable than nearly every other car maker in the world combined. All this is a regulatory black cloud looms large for Musk and company. Back down to earth, former President Trump's digital media spat getting cut down to size. The last week's surge, could the retail trading frenzy be coming to an end? Wild weather coast to coast as millions brace for the season's first nor'easter. We are tracking the storm for you ahead. And Dave Chappelle breaking his silence over his latest Netflix comedy special. And he's issuing a bit of a challenge. It is Tuesday, October 26th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us. And it really, it is looking like a good Tuesday morning as the everything rally looks set to roll on. Futures, they're higher across the board, all up by about a half a percent. The Nasdaq up six-tenths of one percent. The Dow and the S&P, what else? Coming off new record highs. The blue chip index closing at its 37th all-time high of the year. The S&P says, I can top that. 56 record high closes for the S&P 500 so far this year. Outsized gains for the Nasdaq and technology as well. And oh, you might have heard about it. Tesla surging to a $1 trillion market cap. Wow. We're going to get much more on that in a moment. We also, by the way, oddly, as electric car makers move up, continue to watch oil and gas because oil at its highest level in seven years yeah, it's down a little bit right now, but yesterday afternoon broke through 85 a barrel. Also, a gigantic move and maybe something even more important. That is natural gas. About 20% jump in the last two days for nat gas. It is now on pace for nine straight monthly gains. Natural gas pretty much goes into the input costs of so many things and a number of stocks that track natural gas also moving higher, like EQT, we had an exclusive with their CEO a couple of weeks ago. That stock got more than 11% in the past week. A number of the nat gas-focused names continue to rise. But it is not just commodities. Banks also surging lately. And the regional bank ETF, or at least the biggest of them, the KRE, hitting an all-time high going back to its inception all the way back in 2006. Well, there are three big money movers to hit as well this Tuesday morning. Let's begin with... What else? Tesla hitting a $1 trillion market cap. Welcome to the club. This on news that Hertz will order 100,000 cars to build out its EV fleet. 
and also a bullish note out of Morgan Stanley. Tesla closing up more than 12% on the day. Tesla is now worth more than the next nine largest global automakers combined, despite selling fewer than 2% of all cars. Think about that. Wow. All right, number two, Facebook shares are higher in the pre-market. This after the company reporting better than expected third quarter results, revenue and fourth quarter's outlook also coming in a little bit short. Facebook announcing a $50 billion share buyback program, but results have been overshadowed by the barrage of media company reports about the company's corporate culture stemming from those leaked internal documents. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg on the call last night. Good faith criticism helps us get better. But my view is that what we are seeing is a coordinated effort to selectively use leaked documents to paint a false picture of our company. Zuckerberg getting a little bit defensive there. All right, we also continue to track shares of former President Trump's digital media SPAC. The stock falling about 11% yesterday after last week's massive run-up. Right now it is up a little bit this morning, up about 3 uh, about one, three, is that 3%, 1%? Either way, it's, uh, it's, it's in the green a little bit. All right. Well, it is not just here at home. A number of big movers to get to overseas in Europe as well. Why don't we hit some of those and your top headlines? Juliana Tattlebaum is in London with that and more. Good morning, Juliana. Brian, great to see you. Well, here in Europe, it is all systems go. European markets trading higher across the board. And the rally is pretty broad-based. We've got Germany out in front, up about nine-tenths of a percent, but not far behind. We've got the Spanish market up about seven-tenths, uh, CAC 40 over in France, and the FTSE 100 both up about six-tenths of a percent. And the Swiss and Italian markets lagging just slightly, but really uh, a strong session uh, this morning here in Europe. Uh, from a sector perspective, this is what the picture looks like as investors digest a raft of earnings that have come through this morning. Basic resources, telecoms and oil and gas trading on the downside. Yesterday, the energy sector was the key outperformer, rallying about 1.3% when the overall market was flat. So a little bit of a pullback after that. On the upside, travel and leisure out in front, up 2.3%, insurance and household goods. And speaking of earnings, let me just highlight a few of the big movers for you, the ones that investors are focusing on this morning. Reckitt Benckiser up nearly 6%, one of the best performers in Europe this morning. The company is seeing its shares surge after reporting a strong quarterly update, raising guidance for the year. They're seeing particularly strong demand for their cough syrups and flu medicines and also their Durex products as restrictions lift and life gets back to normal. We've also got UBS in focus, the bank up about 1% this morning. They came out topping Q3 profit expectations. The investment bank seeing earnings jump. Uh, and elsewhere, we just highlight on the flip side, Orange shares are trading lower this morning, down more than 3% over in France and the company uh, showing that Profits were held back over the quarter by a drop in co-investment returns. So not all positive moves, uh, but for the most part, Brian, stocks are trading higher in Europe. Yeah, really are. Interesting to hear about the flu. We talk so much about COVID, Juliana, and we forget that this thing called the flu is also now starting to make a comeback. Juliana Tadelbaum, thank you very much. All right, it's now time to get you up to speed on some of this morning's other top corporate headlines, including the possibility of more regulatory headaches for Apple. Savannah Hanau is here with that and more. Savannah, good morning. Good morning, Brian. All right, Brian, so we're going to start with Kathy Wood because she's calling out Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey for his comments about theories about hyperinflation coming to the U.S. and the world. The CEO of ARK Invest taking to Twitter to refute his claims. Among her string of tweets, 
Wood says, quote, there are three sources of deflationary pressure that will overcome the short-term inflation and the long-term, including the advancement of AI, creative disruption thanks to innovation in tech, and a surplus of supplies that will be realized once the holiday season is over. Apple is reportedly in the crosshairs of a potential antitrust lawsuit from the Justice Department. According to the information, the iPhone maker has been hit with a, quote, flurry of activity from the DOJ since the summer, including subpoenas to its business partners. Apple shares slightly higher um, in the in the um, in the, before the open. And the SEC is reportedly set to take the reins when it comes to cracking down on the one hundred and thirty one billion dollar stable coin market. According to Bloomberg, the upcoming announcement comes as the Treasury Department and other agencies are set to urge Congress to pass new laws specifying coins should be regulated like bank deposits. Brian, back to you. All right, Savannah, now we're going to see in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, and we're going to see all of you in just a few minutes because we are just getting started. Got to take a short break. But when we come back, a one-on-one with Google executive turned venture capitalist Christine Tsai, where she is seeing opportunity in ESG investing right now in her company, 500 Global Plus, tracking some wild weather heading up and down the East Coast. Were you in the Northeast last night? Man, the rain just pounding us. How much more will we get? We'll tell you. And later on, a key FDA meeting today on COVID-19 shots for kids. And what one hospital CEO is doing, try to help. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning. Let's talk money, big money, because global venture capital funding hitting a record high this year. Third quarter numbers up 78% from just one year ago. Christine Tsai is the CEO and founding partner of 500 Global, one of the largest global venture capital firms. It's been driving investment in emerging markets and things like ESG and the company recently announcing a new $140 million fund, bringing the firm's assets under management to $1.8 billion. That funding primarily to be used by investing in ESG-oriented startups around the world. And Christine joins us now, and we are very happy about it. I know the hours are a little bit odd, Christine, but this show's going out around the world, and so is your money. In fact, almost 50% of the startups you have funded are outside of the United States, so we love the global approach. Tell us how you find the right people, the right teams, and the right companies. 
Thanks, Brian. It definitely is something that has been from the very beginning part of 500 Global's investment thesis, strategy, and mission to invest in companies all corners of the world, the belief that the next billion-dollar companies, next $10 billion companies are going to be coming from outside of Silicon Valley, outside of the U.S. If you think back 11 years ago when 500 Global was founded, it was very contrarian approach. So for us, a lot of it is really being on the ground, hyper-local in these markets. That's really the, the key to being global is actually to be hyper-local. We have people on the ground in uh, close to 20 countries around the world, and our portfolio spans more than 77 countries around the world. Yeah, you know, listen, we have a limited amount of time, so I'd love to focus on everything around the world and probably shame on us. We don't talk about Latin America very much. We don't talk about Southeast Asia, ex-China very much, but there's some really cool and exciting stuff going on in places of the world that we just don't talk about it. Is there almost an advantage, Christine, in that? The fact that, you know, if you're a startup founder in, you know, Sao Paulo or, uh, you know, Saigon, whatever it is, is there an advantage that you're kind of under the radar? Well, in terms of being under the radar as an investor, I think um, what's really changed in the past 10 years uh, from when we first started investing in a lot of these markets is a lot of things have changed on the macro level. Certainly in a year like 2020, technology and um, all kinds of things have really accelerated. So in many ways, we are known as probably one of, if not the first Silicon Valley early stage investor that has gone into markets like Latin America, Vietnam, the Middle East, North Africa, East Asia um, and Africa itself. So now it's it's really almost a nice validation of that global thesis. We're seeing a lot of local players coming up in the early stage venture market, as mm -hmm. well as some of these larger firms now coming into venture capital and investing into emerging markets. And like I mentioned, with a year like 2020 with COVID, um, deals being forced to be done over Zoom or remotely, now many Silicon Valley investors feel that they are more comfortable now trying to invest into emerging markets, but there's still a long way to go. And we're excited that more money is just coming into a lot of these companies. Easier, I guess, than getting on a plane to head down to Brazil or something. But take us through your thought process, Christine. How do you how do you find these companies? What's sort of the do they come to you? What are one of the first one or two things that you like or immediately dislike about a company? Well, we're typically investing at the earliest stages. Um, oftentimes, we are the first or one of the first institutional checks for these companies. With the raise of our recent global fund that you just mentioned earlier, we're expanding our scope to later stages and hopefully all the way up to you know first companies, uh, the first check into a company, all the way up to the last check of the company. Um, and that's something we're excited about for uh, the future of 500. But in terms of how we find these companies, I think that is something that for a lot of investors, especially those who are really excited about tech or venture capital, the early stage is obviously the, by far the riskiest, albeit the most upside if the company breaks out. It's really about the team at that stage. We are obviously agnostic to market. We have invested in more than 77 countries, and we are very diversified in terms of sector. But we definitely are looking very closely at the team. Uh, what is the market that they're uh, going yeah. after? The problem can this be a category leader, especially if it's in an emerging market? Yeah, I hear that more and more, Christine. That it's amazing. Even in the super hyper digital age, human beings actually matter more than ever. Christine Sai, five hundred global. Christine, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. All right, still on deck. No apologies here. 
Dave Chappelle breaking his silence over his latest Netflix comedy special. His comments and a bit of a challenge ahead. Today's big number, $2 trillion. That's how much it will cost the airline industry to reach its net zero carbon emissions goals by 2050, according to an estimate by the lobby group International Air Transport Association. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Well, a panel of outside advisors to the FDA said to meet today. It's to consider whether to approve Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccines for use in kids age 5 to 11 years old. If approved, the shots would be the first to be made available for kids in the U.S. under 12 and make another 28 million people eligible for vaccination. For more on this and the continued push to get more Americans vaccinated and where we stand right now, we are joined by Dr. Sharif El-Nahal. He is CEO and president of University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey, Dr. Allen Hall, it's a pleasure to have you back on the program. Uh, you have a vaccine mandate. It has gone well. You've had to terminate just a couple of employees. Any is a lot. I understand that. But overall, you're performing as one of, if not the best hospitals in America after a lot of initial hesitancy, which we talked about on this show. How have you done it? Well, thank you so much for having me. I think the approach we've taken uh, is one of compassion and understanding uh, for folks who are initially hesitant. Uh, but after a few conversations with trusted individuals, myself and others uh, who you know are trusted in the organization, uh, folks ended up deciding to do it. I had personally had lunches with folks across the organization who were unvaccinated, had a lot of uh, good questions about side effects and other rumors they had heard. Misinformation, of course, uh, is a problem even for healthcare workers. But uh, if the stakeholders across the table are trusted folks and uh, there's buy-in from uh, employees on what leadership is uh, intentions are when it comes to protecting the workforce. Uh, it can work. And so we have over 93% of our employees uh, now vaccinated with the mandate. And we just added the Johnson & Johnson booster as a part of our mandate for folks who receive that as an initial course of vaccination, given the FDA's decision-making and the CDC's decision-making last week. And so far, there doesn't seem to be much pushback. We just announced it yesterday. But I think this is an important step to protect the 270 or so employees we have uh, who had that vaccine. Yeah. And for people that received the J&J vaccine, have you seen more interest in them moving over, you know, getting the half dose of Moderna or whatever it is, and that booster shot? Are we seeing kind of people being more selective, doctor, about the vaccine they receive, either initial dose or booster? I was just rounding yesterday throughout my hospital to get folks perspective on this. 
the folks who receive J&J are actually eager to get a booster, and they're eager in many cases to get a different shot. And so I think the FDA's decision on allowing mixing and matching uh, is one that I think a lot of folks will appreciate because of what they've heard, uh, according to the data, on the effectiveness of that. And so you may see that more in J&J recipients because of that decision to basically say that one shot may not be enough anymore in the context of the Delta variant. We've seen that with our employee discussions thus far. And what are you seeing from hospital levels overall? Obviously, doctor, uh, the weather has been helpful. I know people hate to talk about seasonality. We've talked about this before, but it does seem to certainly play a role when people go inside or outside. It's getting cold. It's rainy. Are you guys expecting a kind of a, a last surge, a late fall winter surge here among the unvaccinated? What's your preparation right now for the next few months? We are expecting that uh, with folks moving more indoors, with folks uh, gathering for the holidays. There's an expectation that in the context of the Delta variant, especially, we will start to see an increase in cases. And so we've had about only 10 patients with COVID-19 in our hospital for the past several weeks. Uh, The beginning of the school season did not lead to an increase in cases uh, in our area, thankfully, uh, and significantly. And so what we're really worried about, though, is, again, folks gathering more and more indoors Uh, And we're trying to uh, get everybody to get vaccinated as much as possible in the community uh, to prevent hopefully what uh, we don't want to see, which is another surge in the winter. Well, yeah, because if you go on this thing called Twitter, doctor, which I know I'm kidding, we're all familiar with it. uh, It's all doom and gloom. You know, you you look at the the so-called experts, everything is doomed. You have not seen that so far with kids, correct? School's been in for three weeks to a month, depending on where you are. And we are not seeing this huge influx of kids with COVID, thank God, coming into your hospital, at least not yet. Well, it helps in New Jersey that we have a universal mask mandate in schools. I want to make sure that I caveat my answer with this. Not every state has that. In fact, many states have outlawed such things. And I think that's a bad thing for public health. We have seen an increase in school outbreaks, but not to a point where you see in other states and certainly in our hospital, while we've seen more pediatric emergency room visits, we have not seen a surge in pediatric patients in our ICUs or even in our regular medical surgical beds. And so I know that not every region in the country can say that, but I think in large part, because we have that mask mandate in schools, we've been protected so far. And of course, we're waiting uh, as soon as possible for the ultimate decision-making from the FDA on Pfizer for kids. We do hope that goes through to protect our kids. Dr. Sharif El-Nahal, University Hospital, Newark. Uh, Doctor, always a pleasure. Thank you for getting up early. We do appreciate your viewpoints as always, my friend. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, welcome. All right, a lot left to do on this busy Tuesday and on deck. Just one day after hitting one trillion, I feel like I should put my pinky next to my mouth. And market value regulators now taking a closer look at Tesla and its recent autopilot program rollback. Talk more about that. Dow features up 105. And we're back right after this. Let the records keep rolling. Stocks looking to move higher again as low rates and cheap money just keep the party going. Futures, they are higher across the board. Facebook shaking off a wave of scandals and getting a boost on an earnings beat. Oh, and a $50 billion share buyback. And welcome to the $1 trillion club. Tesla joining it, even as federal regulators turning up the heat. 
It is Tuesday, October 26th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I am Brian Sullivan. Here we go, because it's looking a lot like the everything rally is going to roll on again today. Futures, they are higher once again. NASDAQ futures up more than one half of one percent on a numbers basis. Dow futures up about 100 points. Now, there is another big day of earnings on tap. And so far, the numbers we have seen have been pretty doggone good. Bank of America doing a nice wrap up of the numbers so far. And here is what they found. In all, as of right now, 117 S&P 5 companies have released their numbers. Of those, 79% have beat on earnings per share, 72% on sales, and 62% on both EPS and revenue. On average, companies are beating analyst estimates by about 4%. But two groups of stocks are doing much better than the overall averages. The banks, the financial stocks, beating by an average of 13%, and oil and gas stocks beating by about 7%. Look at those numbers. Pretty good. All right. Also, we're going to check on some of this morning's big money movers. And speaking of oil and gas or not, Tesla hitting a $1 trillion market cap yesterday on news that Hertz is ordering 100,000 cars to build out its rental electric vehicle fleet. Tesla closing up more than 12% on the day. One of its best days in a long time. Shares right now are fractionally higher. But wow, if you're a Tesla bull, you made a lot of money this year. And let it stick there because even with that move, the company is still facing new scrutiny over its autopilot system. Silvana Hanau is back with more on that and some of this morning's other top corporate headlines. Silvana. Hey, Brian. So the head of the National Transportation Safety Board is criticizing Tesla for not addressing its safety concerns over the EV maker's self-driving software. In a letter to CEO Elon Musk, the agency's chair, Jennifer Homendy, questioned the company's decision to provide a new version of that software before dealing with the agency's outstanding issues with it. The NTSB has raised concerns about the feature following fatal crashes involving the software. And it has asked Tesla to build in safeguards to make sure drivers don't use the system outside of its original intent and implement more effective driver safety systems. Hamandi will have more on all of this in an exclusive coming up at 7.15 this morning. Comedian Dave Chappelle is standing by his recent Netflix special, The Closer, amid accusations of transphobia. In a video posted to his Instagram account from a recent tour stop, Chappelle discussed accusations by some Netflix employees of anti-LGBTQ views and the potential for a meeting on the matter. It's been said in the press that I was invited to speak to the transgender employees at Netflix and I refused. That is not true. If they had invited me, I would have accepted it, although I am confused about what we are speaking about. I said what I said and boy, I heard what you said. My God, how could I not? You said you want a safe working environment at Netflix. Well. It seems like I'm the only one that can't go to the office anymore. 
Chappelle also told the audience that his upcoming documentary about his summer 2020 comedy tour has been excluded from film festivals because of the backlash. He also insisted he's open to meetings with any members of the transgender community and that his issue is about corporate interest, not the LGBTQ community. And House Republicans are seeking internal information from Snap, TikTok and Google's YouTube on how their products affect teens' mental health. The request comes before executives from each of those companies testified before a Senate Commerce Subcommittee on the matter today. The moves follow leaked documents from Facebook showing its own research found negative impacts on the mental health of its young users. Brian, back to you. Yeah, if you got kids or teenagers, certainly uh, plays a big role Absolutely. in a lot of things. So, Ana, mm-hmm. thank you very much. Perfect. All right. Well, speaking of Facebook, it is one of your morning's big money movers. Shares, they are higher. Third quarter earnings topping forecasts. But even as earnings per share beat, sales missed many estimates. The company is guiding fourth quarter revenue below where it was, in part because of headwinds from Apple's new privacy changes to its iOS. One bullish point, Facebook is adding $50 billion to its stock buyback program and announcing plans to start breaking out Facebook Reality Labs hardware, AR, and virtual reality into its own reporting segment as Mark Zuckerberg gets all a flutter about the metaverse, this new online world. I guess go read one, Ready Player One if, if you're kind of interested in where that may be going. On the earnings call, CEO Mark Zuckerberg pushing back against recent criticism of his company following an onslaught of reports stemming from documents leaked by former employees and whistleblower Francis Haugen. I want to discuss uh, the recent debate around our company. I believe large organizations should be scrutinized, and I'd much rather live in a society where they are uh, than one where they can't, where they can't be. Uh, good faith criticism helps us get better. But my view is that what we are seeing is a coordinated effort to selectively use leaked documents to paint a false picture of our company. Joining us now is Rocco Strauss. He's Internet Equity Analyst at Arate Research. Uh, Rocco, it sounds a little bit there that... <laughs> Zuckerberg is taking a page from the, you know, the vast conspiracies against us when they're the, they're the biggest media company like that in the world. That aside, uh, was there anything in the numbers that you particularly liked or didn't like? Yeah, I mean, as, as you pointed out initially, I think you can break it down into like the good and the ugly, um, you know, with the not so great things, obviously being the top line miss, um, being Apple's IDFA changes um, actually are indeed becoming in, or having an impact um, in the short run, even though Facebook is pointing out. Um, that was newer measurement tools that are going to, um, you know, be able to mitigate some 50%, um, you know, of that, of that attribution uh, headwind that they're having from ATT. Um, on the good side, um, I mean, I would point out, I mean, you, you mentioned it, it's a $50 billion, um, you know, additional uh, share buyback, which is consuming most of its cash flow, uh, free cash flow into next year. Um, and um, the new structure that they announced of breaking our Facebook Reality Lab is generally, um, you know, additional disclosure, which is very welcome by investors. And, um, the $10 billion of gap EBIT headwinds on the VRAR side that they pointed out in 21 shows that its ad business actually runs at the staggering 50% EBIT margins. Um, and on top of that, I mean, Facebook announced that Reels ad is, um, um, is launching both on Instagram and will also be pushed to call Facebook um, at some point. So Facebook is pulling a trigger on Reels um, um, monetization, yeah. moving into first quarter of 21. Um, and that clearly gives them an additional um, you know, lever um, alongside like the muted kind of like user growth and uh, time spent per user growth to drive impressions um, by further uh, monetizing reels. 
What's amazing about some of the stuff like Reels and other things that Google, which we'll get to in a minute, are doing is that they're starting to look a lot like, you know, television. Basically, more video, and then in the middle of video, they throw some kind of an advertisement for soap or candy bars up on the screen. Is that going to hurt user growth? I mean, what I know about teenagers, by the way, is not much, but I do know this. They don't like ads. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess that's the way that these social media platforms generally approach it, right? I mean, they first, um, you know, build communities of hundreds of millions of people engaging with that type of content before they're introducing ads to them. Um, and that is what you see, uh, you know, with Reels on Instagram. That is what you see with Shorts on uh, on YouTube. That is what you see with Spotlight on, um, you know, on Snapchat. Um, it's going to be a very slow process of be bringing ads into the picture here. Um, and generally, users from the research that we do are happy with seeing targeted ads rather than uh, ads that are fully not important to them. All right. So are you still bullish or, or new? should we own Facebook? Should we sell it if we own it? Should we buy more? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we have been neutral rated uh, moving into the print, mainly pointing to like three of the of the four main growth drivers for the social media platforms, which, again, are user growth, time spent per user um, is the ad load per hour and is, um, you know, like price hikes or like the like the price per impression going up. Um, the first three of them have been muted moving into the quarter. Um, monetizing reels, you know, could change the dynamic to a certain extent, given that you get more impression growth uh, coming into the mix. All right, let's move on and talk about Twitter. You got a sell rating on Twitter with a, a $33 target. Obviously, Rock, I need to tell you the stock is well above that. Do you got to revisit that target or are you convinced that ultimately your thesis is going to play out and Twitter, uh, while it's had a nice run, is not going to be able to last? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you could argue that Twitter is less likely impacted by these current IDFA changes, given that they are more a brand spend platform, uh, which are less affected uh, by targeting or attribution changes. But Apple's ATT um, um, framework is likely providing a clear hint why Twitter had to sell off um, or had to sell its Mopub division to, uh, to Ablovin uh, for a somewhat low multiple. And while Twitter is likely facing difficulties to grow a DR or performance business, um, so attracting more e-commerce budgets coming onto the platform, while also its map or what is called their app install business um, is likely going to be flat at best, given that that faces similar headwinds as we had seen with Snap on um, in, in last week. Right. So, and alongside that, we're, yeah, that we're a, on these on these issues, and that we, you know, like see some near-term IDFA headwinds, um, you know, for them as well. I would also point out that there are several structural changes um, or challenges at uh, at Twitter, which you know, like comes to like the management team, um, you know, which isn't which isn't complete at best. Uh, while also their their data graph is 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 definitely um, you know not not in the range with the likes of like Snap or Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, and you do wonder if this, uh, whatever this thing is, the former president may announce is going to split it up. You know, sort of if you're on one side, you go over here. And if you're on the other side, you go over there. And you can just have your own reality all day long, every single day, and never hear the other side. Rocco Strauss of Arate Research. Rocco, pleasure to have you on. I know it's been very Thank busy with all the numbers you're following. Thank you very much. Take care. All right, it is a wet and rainy Tuesday morning, and on deck, we'll get more on this big storm slamming much of the overnight, the Northeast overnight. Bill Cairns will be here with the very latest on that, as well as the historic storm also hitting the West Coast. But as we head to break, some of the other top headlines happening right now, Kellogg's is trying to restart negotiations with 1,400 striking workers. The company says it has sent a message to the union representing those employees offering to resume contract talks. A trip to the happiest place on earth is, well, succumbing to inflation. 
Disney is raising most of its ticket prices for its Disneyland and Disney California Adventure theme parks. Mission on the highest demand days of the year, including select weekends, holidays, and spring break, will now cost you 164 bucks for just a one-day visit. And 11 masterpieces by Pablo Picasso have gone for $109 million at a special Sotheby's auction, revealing the top piece for the collection from MGM Results International for $40.5 million. There it is. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back and good Tuesday morning. It's 543. I mean, look at how wet that is in Times Square. If you're in this area, you know what I'm talking about. A massive thunderstorm rolling through last night. Lightning, thunder, heavy rain. Still raining a bit, so a soggy start to the day. New York and New Jersey both declaring states of emergency overnight because of some of this rain. We're also bracing for the season's first nor'easter. All this as the West Coast continues to face the brunt of some of their historic storms and flooding. NBC meteorologist Bill Karens joining us now. Let's start here because, you know, we have an East Coast bias, of course, Bill. Uh, let's talk about it. I mean, <laughs> the rain was pretty spectacular overnight. Uh, how much more are we going to get? Talk yeah. to us about this nor'easter. Yeah, to be fair, the biggest storm in the country is the nor'easter, and this is by far, you know, the storm in the West Coast, all those impacts are just about over with. So the, the big story today and tomorrow will be this nor'easter that's developing. It's actually two storms. You mentioned those thunderstorms last night. That was kind of a separate storm system. That was the one back here by Philadelphia that's moving through. That was the uh, first storm. Now off the coast, the nor'easter is developing, and this one is going to have some really high winds. So this storm really is coming at us in two pieces. The first is the heavy rain threat. This will be a horrendous morning commute around the New York City area. There's already a lot of standing water out there. We have flash flood warnings in central New Jersey. Flash flood watches cover 39 million people. So we get the heavy rain today. And then tonight, when the nor'easter really starts cranking, that's when the wind problems will begin. So first things first with the rainfall, we've already had reports of two to four inches of rain in New Jersey and areas north of New York City. Another additional two to four inches is possible. So this is on the heels. Remember, we had historic Ida flooding where some areas had six to ten inches of rain. We're going to end up with someone close to six to seven inches when this is all done. So pretty incredible to have a, a second huge rainfall event like this you know, it, within about a month and a half. So thankfully this time leading up to this rain event, the rivers have been pretty low. It hadn't rained a lot lately, so that's why we're not going to see that historic flooding. And as far as the winds go, 9 million people under wind alerts as far as warnings or watches. The highest winds will easily be found towards Cape Cod and the island, Boston itself. We should see some wind gusts close to hurricane strength on Cape Cod. I mean, we're going to see probably a good 100, 200,000 people without power come this time tomorrow morning. So hurricane force gusts possible. Even the twin forks of Long Island could see gusts 50 to 60 miles per hour with this. And a lot of leaves are still on the trees. So the ones that are changing will blow off, but the leaves that are still green will hold on. And because of that, we will get some downed trees and power lines. Areas in the orange from Boston to Providence, the Newport, eastward out towards the Cape. That's your best bet of seeing power outages around New York City to Hartford. Those areas should remain and have power. And the other story, that big, huge West Coast storm, has now moved in towards the middle of the country. Watch out, severe weather threat late tonight through tomorrow morning, and we could see a tornado, a mini tornado outbreak also, Brian. So uh, a lot going on from West Coast to East Coast. 
You got any? Yeah. I mean, Bill, I want to go back to bed now after all this. I mean, yeah. So I'm looking at the, <laughs> the, the NBC News weather. I mean, I'm actually not joking. I think at this hour, we all want to go back to bed. So we got about another, what, 24 hours on the East Coast, sounds like, to kind of deal with all this mess. And then you've yes. still got what's happening in the West where they face drought. They, they, need, they need water. They need rain. They just don't need it yeah. all to fall in a 24-hour period. <laughs> It was pretty crazy. Uh, Lake Orville, uh, the dam there, the water level rose over 20 feet just from this previous storm. So, uh, yeah, it was very beneficial. I mean, yes, there was some problems with that huge amount of rain, but, you know, at least we took a little dent out of the historic drought. Yeah, I mean, listen, want those reservoirs to fill up, certainly. So I guess in some weird way it is good news. But here... Yeah. My guess is, Bill, we've already broken every annual rain record. We've got to go back and maybe check that out and get you back on to confirm it because it's, it's rained all year. Bill Karens, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. any amateur, thank you. Any amateur meteorologist want to run the numbers for us, we'll appreciate it. Maybe it's a good RBI. All right, on deck. Investors gearing up for another busy day of earnings results and potential new records for the markets. Ally Invest, Lindsay Bell is here with what you need to watch for as all these numbers pile on kind of like rain. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. It's called Worldwide Exchange. It's hosted by Brian Sullivan, I'm told. He's a nice guy. We're back right after this. Well, today's RBI is an HBD. It's a happy birthday to my friend Ryan, but also to the Erie Canal. Erie Canal, you turn 196 years old today and you are the first and probably the most impactful infrastructure project in the history of America. Poo-pooed at the time by Thomas Jefferson, the governor of New York later on, DeWitt Clinton pushed it through. It cost an insane at the time $7 million, over $1 billion in today's money, and was widely ridiculed as a waste of that money. It took 50,000 workers overall eight years to dig, mostly by hand and donkey, a 363-mile-long, 40-foot-wide canal. Thousands of workers died during its construction. It was hard, painful, and low-paid work. In fact, some of the Irish immigrants were actually paid in whiskey. True story. But thankfully, the old Erie became a massive success, opening up the Great Lakes and much of the West to economic development, literally changing the destiny of America. The Erie is still running today. It's been widened three times to now handle much bigger ships, and its engineers even founded a college, Rensselaer Polytechnic, RPI, after leaving their work at the Erie Canal. So happy birthday, Erie Canal. Maybe a good historical reminder about what we can do as a nation if we put our minds to it. Random but interesting. All right, let's get back down to the markets. Also random but interesting, the earnings train rolling, maybe the earnings barge rolling on, the down the S&P at record highs. Welcome in. Lindsay Bell, Chief Investment Strategist of Ally Invest. And I'm going to say something, Lindsay, that'll probably get my feed cut back in the control room. I don't think uh -uh. earnings matter at all. And I'll tell you, I, I, yeah, I don't think earnings, the numbers we're seeing now matter one bit. And I, I'm sorry to say that. I'll tell you why. I think the inflation story is so powerful. I think what's happening this quarter and the numbers that we're going to see in January and February, those are the ones that are going to matter because the input costs have really spiked in the last couple of weeks. What say you? Tell me I'm wrong, please, for the sake <laughs> of our network. 
Yeah, no, Brian, I think that's a good point that you raise. Um, the, the current quarter we're in uh, has been much better than many investors probably anticipated with 82% of companies reporting on the bottom line and most importantly, 76% companies reporting on that sales number, be, beating on the sales number there. And that's important too because that shows if companies are able to raise prices and pass it on to the consumer because of those, like you said, higher costs, higher input costs, supply chain bottlenecks, et cetera, that is really um, really driving that inflationary story that you, you mentioned there. And so, so far what we're seeing is the top line is remaining strong, and so actually are margins. And one thing I'm looking at, Brian, that this week in particular is the tech sector. And surprisingly so far, while very few tech companies have reported um, to, to date, uh, the good news is is that they are actually showing margin strength for the for the most part, despite cost headwinds. And as you know, this is a sector that is really actually being very impacted by rising labor costs. So the fact that they're able to see yep. uh, margins hold hold steady to potentially move higher is a good sign so far. Well, it seems like technology, particularly the, the companies that we differentiated yesterday, Lindsay, that there's tech companies that actually make stuff. Apple, by the way, is one of them. They have physical products, Cisco as well. And those that just kind of do stuff, right, like take a funny dance video and put it online, they're very different because one will face supply chain issues, one really won't. And I wonder if we have to start differentiating tech a little bit more because of that. Yeah, no, it, it is a good point that you raised, Brian, um, and I think that is going to be very important. But I think it's a very mixed bag, and I've been saying this since the beginning of the quarter. No matter what industry that you're looking at, this is a quarter where it's really a stock picker's market because because we talk about sectors very frequently, but a lot of times these are companies that are, are not created equal. Each has their own uh, own issues that they're dealing with or own um, uh, own trajectories that, they, that they're working on. So I think it's something that you need to take on a case-by-case basis, and it's hard to generalize in this quarter because everyone's being impacted by the supply chain issues differently. Yeah, and, and we've only half-joked in this show, do your Christmas shopping early, and I'm going to say something. I am not kidding. I am almost done with Christmas shopping. I'm not joking. I, I, it's completely accurate. It doesn't mean I haven't bought anything. It's because I'm worried that what I want for my family is not going to be there as well. Do you think the retailers are going to have a good time or a bad time? Demand is going to soar. That's good. But if the stuff isn't there to sell, that's bad. Or if people can't afford the price increases, how do we view it? Yeah, I mean, I think the early purchasing of things is going to benefit retailers. Um, it, it's going to help them with the inventory and supply chain issues to some extent. Um, but, you know, your point's taken, and that's why you're seeing prices rise across various, uh, various gift-giving categories. And so I think it's something that's going to benefit the retailers early on is pulling demand forward. Uh, and then as we get later into the holiday season, I think there's going to be probably a little bit of a lag. So the comparisons are going to be a little bit more difficult. Usually you see sales jumping yeah. as you get closer to, to, to the Christmas time frame. Um, and, and so it's just going to be a shift of timing. Uh, and and in, in, in the end, it might actually benefit the retailers and the economy overall as it's spread out over a longer period of time. Yeah, it's going to be really tough for the parents of the naughty kids, Lindsay, because coal prices have soared. I don't know if you've seen that as well. I mean, it's going to be tough <laughs> yes, all around. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Lindsay Bell. Lindsay Bell of Ally Invest. We appreciate you getting up early for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you very much. Have a great day, Lindsay. Thank you. 
Always be nice. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We're going to see you tomorrow morning in our RBI with the results of your poll, what you say about inflation, because you're nice. You're going to get nice things this Christmas and holiday season. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.